Welcome to the Mantis Podcast. Today we have Chase Hudson with Park West Real Estate. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Nick. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, looking at your background as an industrial investor, uh, it's a it's an asset type that I do not get to, uh, to talk to experts about as often. But I'm definitely eager to hear some some of your insight today. Uh, you used to work at the Dakota Sp uh, Pacific Real Estate Company, which has a very large industrial uh, portfolio, among other large companies as well. Uh, but you're also focused on it with uh, Park West as well. So, you know, maybe give us a little bit of a background, and then we'll kind of dive into some of your your expertise and kind of some market insights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely happy to do so, Nick. So, I uh, I came out of undergrad in uh, 2017 at, at BYU, so Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, uh, studied accounting and finance and was was fairly involved there with uh, the real estate club. And real estate was always something that that was uh, what I wanted to do. I grew up with my grandfather being a, a developer up in Washington State, um, albeit on the smaller scale, but he did a lot of mobile home parks and apartments. And so kind of in my blood. Um, and so coming out of, of BYU, I went to work for JP Morgan in their real estate America's group. Uh, so JP Morgan has the largest core fund in the country. Um, and what I, I spent three and a half years with them in Los Angeles investing out of uh, their, their core fund, their, their value add fund, and then kind of a, a core plus fund that they ran as well, um, focused along the West Coast. And was product type agnostic, although we focused on kind of the four main core uh, industrial retail office and multifamily and had, had a great experience there cutting my teeth. Um, JP Morgan, high level, I mean, they, they do probably 60 to 70% direct investing where they're owning, operating the, the assets. And then the other 30% or so is as an LP or going in with a developer on a deal. And so when I was there, we uh, we did a lot of investing into industrial real estate with uh, with uh, developers. So J.P. Morgan acted as the limited partner, and we uh, team up with operators. And it was always very interesting to to see from at least a distance at that time um, these developers building warehouses and and working through uh, projects and um, just the opportunity that I saw there in that space. And so I uh, I wanted to make a transition into a, a more development focused role and a, a more uh, entrepreneurial smaller shop when you're with a group like JP Morgan it's um, as awesome as it is and, and, and as great as the training is it can be a little bit of a cog in the wheel sometimes and so transition to Dakota Pacific as you mentioned Nick uh, they're in Salt Lake City moved from LA to Salt Lake spent uh, almost two years with them as a vice president working mostly on industrial projects, um, both existing kind of on the asset management oversight of, of a portfolio of about 900,000 square feet of commercial uh, assets. And then um, uh, the other part of my time was on multifamily. So worked on a, a pretty large uh, ground up deal in Reno, Nevada. But yeah, I had a great experience with them. And, um, and, and then the end game was always to do my own thing. So have, have been entrepreneurial at heart, uh, was working up the courage to, to make the transition and do my own thing. Uh, and so it took a few years to be able to do that and, and muster up the courage to do it. But at, at some point you need to just pull, pull the trigger and, and have faith in yourself. And so 
um, made the jump in early, or, or I guess early 2022, spent some time planning, uh, convincing a business partner to join me and then formed Park West in, uh, in July of, of 2022. So I'll, uh, I'll take a pause there and, and happy to yeah talk about what we're doing at Park West and what our focus is if, if we want to go there as well. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing your background. It, you know, it's a, it's a big jump to, to move to running your own shop. There's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of different things to consider when making that, but it, you know, I think that it can be very rewarding for the right type of person. Uh, going back and looking at, you know, some of your expertise there with having asset management and development experience, experience with both multifamily and industrial, what, what can you tell us about 2023? I mean, where are we headed? I mean, we have really high interest rates. The market, especially on the industrial side, has gotten quite a bit uh, more attention than it used to. I think that some of the smaller investors uh, really started seeing this as like a, an asset type that was uh, not going anywhere as as e-commerce became more solidified in the way that we do, uh, you know, our, our businesses. And so what what's next? Are, is there only good things coming for industrial? Are, are we overbuilding? Are we at the point where you have to be very selective about the market? Uh, you know, give us some of those insights. What, what does 2023 look like on that front? Yeah, yeah, great question. So before I'll get into 2023, I think a little bit of context. So from um, for the last five years, industrial has been kind of a five or six, whatever, you know, it's been really kind of the sweetheart uh, asset class or product type within, within real estate, it's especially in the last three years. So with COVID, with COVID-19 and the pandemic, there was a massive acceleration and shift from um, really within the e-commerce space, the demand for functional distribution facilities, manufacturing facilities, as groups like Amazon DHL needed to have priority locations to be able to provide access to their, their customers and to people who were shifting during a pandemic to working from home, ordering more online, uh, ordering, ordering pretty much everything they could, they could uh, accessibly obtain online. And so the demand really skyrocketed, uh, which led to a few things. So one was rents. Uh, here in the Salt Lake Valley, where historically rents had been, you know, 40 to 50 cents a square foot, and that's a monthly kind of triple net rent, went, at, you know, 25, 30% year over year for the last three years. And now we're, you know, we're in the low, we're in the upper, you know, 80, 90 cent range. We're pushing a dollar on a lot of, uh, a lot of these newer, newer construction projects. And, and then the other side of that, and this is not specific to industrial, but construction costs, right? We saw those accelerate uh, incredibly quickly from concrete, steel, joists and deck, just with the demand and the pinch point. So people over the last two, three years could not get enough industrial real estate. And that trickled through to all of the institutions, um, all of the private equity real estate firms, all of the developers were, let's go grab as much land as we could and let's get as aggressive as we can. Um, and then the, the other thing was land, land pricing. So just again, here in Salt Lake, um, the developers were used to paying four to eight bucks a foot for dirt. And now things are, are trading in the high teens, low 20s, even up into the $30 a foot range for dirt. 
because of the demand story um, and the lack of supply and inventory. And so you couldn't lose in, in industrial real estate really over the last you know, five, five plus years. As we shift into 2023, um, you've seen some of the headlines, I'm sure Amazon pulling out of some of their facilities uh, or, or giving back uh, you know, certain parts of, of their holdings, um, which high level may, may scare some investors. And I think there, there are some concerns there, but when you look at the fundamentals um, and thinking here in Salt Lake, so just as an example, and this can, this can be extrapolated across the country to some extent, but as of today, we're sitting still sub 2% vacancy within the greater uh, Utah market across the industrial space. There's, there is a, about 9 million square feet, 10 million square feet of supply uh, in the pipeline, new construction. But if you were to drop that into the market today in, in, into Utah, vacancy would only go up from about 2% to about 8%. And so th that just speaks to the amount of demand that's out there. Um, still in our market, builders can't build quickly enough to, to meet the, the leasing demand. So the fundamentals have, have been still very strong from the demand side, slowing a little bit, um, but very resilient uh, thus far through the, the inflation story and what we've seen over the past nine to 12 months. I think, Nick, it's, it's still a little bit of a mystery in terms of you know, where cap rates have shifted. Um, we were seeing new class A products sell for sub three cap rates um, up until you know, nine months ago. There haven't been a lot of trades recently because I think developers don't really want to put their, their, their deals on the market and, and see, um, you know, test the waters because of where rates are and negative leverage coming into a deal. So that's where it's a little bit um, uncertain. And, uh, but, but what has still been very resilient is the leasing, the demand from the tenant side. So, so going into, into this year, um, so we have, a, we have a project that we're, we're working on. I could go into more detail on that later, but um, we've seen a lot of developers hit pause because of interest rates, because of construction costs. We've seen uh, developers retrading on land uh, where they run a contract at you know $20 a foot, and now they can't make sense of that because their construction financing went from three and a half or four percent to nine or ten percent. Um, so we we have seen a little bit of um, slowing down on the pipeline, um, but. Overall, the leasing story is still strong and, and a lot of developers are still, uh, still hitting go. So we, we'll see how 2023 shakes out. I think, it's, I think it's industrial, cautiously optimistic, being smart about your, your basis and your land and your, your underwriting, um, not getting overly aggressive with how you're looking at it, but still a very great asset class. So sorry, I know that was, that was long-winded. No, that, that, there's a lot of great points in there. I mean, you know, the, the asset class certainly isn't going anywhere. And it seems like if construction is going to slow over the next year or two, uh, as construction rates obviously are inflated, I think that's what the Fed wants. They want to slow down on the, the new supply. That right. should only insulate the existing product, especially if it's a modernized product type that's already uh, you know, got the right ceiling heights and, and is set up for today's e-commerce. Uh, so what does that mean for, for you when you're looking at doing a new deal? Why are you 
able to move forward? What what was your secret sauce? Did you get the basis on your land? Did you, um, you know, have like some kind of a, a deal with a company that you know was giving you money ahead of time? Like, wh- why are you able to move forward? And and if people are trying to find deals to move forward right now, what should they be doing? Yep, great question. So, it, you, one quick point you mentioned um, it may be an opportune time to to look at existing deals so or existing inventory non-development play so i i that is one thing that we're we're looking at within our company at park west is we've underwritten a lot of development deals over the last six months and um there's still a very big bid ask spread between a seller's expectations on where they want to sell their land and a buyer's expectations on where they need to price it to make a deal make sense and with construction costs, like you mentioned, being so elevated, it's very hard to make a development deal make sense right now. Um, when you're building to, you know, right now, if you're, if you're paying, you know, market value on, on land and your construction costs are what they are, new construction across Utah is pushing kind of in that 175 to $200 a foot range uh, right now to be able to build all in. And and rents are still kind of keeping up and catching up to that. But if you can't build to a, a kind of a cap rate or yield on cost of uh, with above a 6% right now, it, it's, it's a deal that's not going to get done. Um, so we are looking at existing, existing inventory um, stuff that's been built in the last you know 20 years where rents are, are well below market. I think that's a really great opportunity right now that if anyone's looking to get into industrial because rents have grown at 30% year over year, if you, if you bought something that was built five years ago or four years ago, those rents are probably 50% below market. Uh, if it's a, you know, five, if it's a seven or 10 year lease that these tenants have been in. And so there's a big mark to market opportunity. And if you can go in and buy industrial for below replacement costs, which you can, um, go, if you can go buy a deal for 150 bucks a foot or 125 bucks a foot and mark rents up and, and, and then, and then sell it. I think that's a great, great play. Um, specifically now, if, you're, on, if you're doing that ahead. play though, you have to then find the right, right building where a lease is coming due. uh, you know, there's obviously tools out there to find those sort of, sort of properties. Uh, but if you were to identify one of those, are you then going to, you not only have to build in the, the the time where you still have the existing tenant, but then you're going to have downtime of kind of maybe re-outfitting the, the asset, maybe doing some quick renovations and then moving in a new tenant at the higher rent, or the existing tenant is just going to accept it and they're going to pay the higher, the higher rent that you are saying. But in a lot of those cases, I think that those leases were not negotiated with this much inflation in mind. And some of those, uh, you know, I guess, triggers in their leases uh, based on like, you know, maybe it's a CPI index or whatever they've agreed on. I guess, is there anything that's been learned on the better way to negotiate a new lease going forward so that you're protecting yourself and you're not sitting here like some of these folks who have just missed out? I mean, they, they just locked themselves into a five or six or seven, 10 year lease and just missed out on this huge opportunity. And now they're just collecting much, you know, they're, they're subpar on their rents. And, you know, kind of going forward, what's that best practice to give the, you know, the company a fair, fair deal, but to protect yourself so that you're not sitting there, you know, kind of just shaking your head going, man, I, I, I left a lot of money on the table. 
Yeah. A couple of things when it comes to, to commercial or industrial leases in general. Um, one is, is rent escalations and, and thinking about how things are getting done in the market now. It's really 4% is, is the new standard, 3.5% to 4%, whereas historically it had been 25 to 3%. And that is really just inflation driven when landlords are seeing rents in the market at, in, in other properties growing at 10% and they're stuck with a lease at 3%. Tenants have, have come to terms with the fact that you know 35 or 4% standard lease escalation clauses is more and more common. And we'll see if that sticks. Um, but at least right now, that's what's happening given where inflation is. Um, the other thing is term. So, you know, five-year lease, a seven-year lease, a 10-year lease, pros and cons to each of those. If you're, if you're doing a, a longer-term lease, the benefit to that typically is if you have a really good credit tenant coming in. So there's a deal um, down the street from the one working, we're working on where Facebook just signed a 10-year lease uh, for, for a data center in, in, the, in the building. And the landlord was willing to give a little bit of a discount on rent um, at, because they were locking in term and they're locking in credit with a, a, obviously an institutional uh, credit tenant with, as Facebook is. And that's going to really benefit them on the sale. When they go and sell that building, they say, hey, we've got Facebook in here, guys. Instead of, instead of paying a, you know, a six cap or five and a half cap, this is probably merits of a five cap or, or sub five cap because of the credit you've got term. It's just, it's, it's a great story. Um, on shorter term leases, you you do have the option to turn rents over more quickly um, and, and mark rents to market. Although you have more turnover costs, TIs, leasing commissions that you're having to pay. So, you know, you, you just need to be strategic about that. And, and typically the more tenants you have in your, in your building, the shorter the duration of the leases typically will be as you have more rollover and you're trying to continue to fall, uh, fill, fill tenants and backfill. Um, and, and then the one other thing I'll mention is just on renewal. So every tenant wants an option to renew. And in most cases, um, if after a five-year lease, they're going to want to be able to say, hey, we want to stay in this building or we want to go look elsewhere. Um, if you're going to do that as a landlord and provide them the option, always have the renewal lease rate be at fair market value um, or 95% of fair market value. And if, you, if you're worried that there may be a decrease in rents, you could even set a floor as a landlord and say, you know, rents will not, your five-year term will not be less than your, your prior year rent um, in any, you know, in any case. So it's always a negotiation, you know, tenants are going to want their rent to just trend off of the last, um, you know, the last year. But as a landlord, you want to be able to have that opportunity to reset rents. And, and as a buyer too, you're, you're going to want to have that opportunity to reset rents when you come into a, a new deal. It really sounds like it's going to be case by case. And what's your capital structure? What, like, are you looking for cash flow? Are you looking for long term appreciation? Are you just looking for depreciation benefits? Are you, uh, you know, maybe got another play where you, you want to uh, have an anchor tenant and you have a few smaller tenants that you're going to try to escalate those folks on? It, that's what I love about real estate. It really is a, you know, kind of case by case. And, you can negotiate each point, but great insight on, on doing fair market value with 95% or 95% fair market value with a, a floor. That does seem like it, it should be fair. It'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, some of these companies react or what they start negotiating in, in the years to come as, as things uh, continue to change. And, you know, hopefully inflation comes back down and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to hope that the 4% increases are, are going to come back, back yeah. down, but right. Uh, you know, probably not in the near term. I think that, you know, 
at the end of the day, that these these spaces are are supposed to be paying for themselves. There's a reason that they want them. That it's it's helping them either with you know just better logistics or uh, last mile or whatever it might be. That these companies should really be seeing a profit on what, whatever rent they're paying there. Yeah, so, and it's it's just math, right? So when yeah. construction costs are X and the, the building costs X and, you know, the only way a deal gets built is if returns are Y, you know, it, you solve for what rent needs to be. And that, and because the, the lack of inventory and the vacancy tenants, it, 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 it's shifting a little bit, but the last three years has been a very much a landlord market where landlords can say, I know rents were 80 cents uh, a year ago, but now it's 95 cents. And, the tenant has has been willing to pay that, and so as long as construction costs keep going up and demand keeps you know stay strong, rents are going to continue to to increase, and and tenants are going to be um, hopefully willing to pay those rents. Yeah, I mean it it certainly is a compelling you know a compelling story on both sides. I think that it's a win win if it's structured correctly. Uh, the asset class obviously has lower capex, and you know there's not as uh, I guess maybe hands-on management. And typically if people aren't paying, there's somebody else to kind of come in and, and take over the space. And, you know, you, you try to mitigate that with some credit worthiness before you put people into the space. And I think that's what has, has attracted people a lot, but it has been interesting to see some of the news this year kind of uh, for the first time, see some hesitant, you know, hesitation on, on uh, the investment, but it doesn't seem like the large guys, you know, like the, the guys who are owning, you know, huge, huge portfolios, you know, the Blackstones, uh, Prologics, you know, those those folks, seems like they're just really investing for the long term and are still quite bullish on this space. And I, I don't think it's going anywhere if you have good land that fits this this build. I, 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 yeah, I, don't think I, I, I agree. I think the it, it's very dependent upon how these firms are capitalized. So, for example, there's you know there's merchant builders and then there's long-term hold, you know, builders, right. Or, you know, evergreen type, type developers. We're right now, we, we sit more in the merchant build. So we're going to be building, leasing, selling, right. Three-year hold, maybe four, getting in and out of deals, building a track record, recycling capital for investors. But then you have, you have, you know, the, the prologuses, these, these groups that are self-sustaining or they have institutional partners that are, that are longer-term investors, and for those groups, so just an example, Heinz, who's a, a prominent um, you know, national developer, they paid the highest watermark, or they're at least under contract to close the highest watermark for a piece of land within Salt Lake um, that the market had seen. And I went, I went and had a conversation with them and, and you know, just said, how, you know, how are you guys making this make sense? You know, we couldn't, we couldn't do that. And their answer was, it's our, it's our capital. You know, they have um, slightly lower, you know, maybe potentially lower return thresholds, or they have a longer term vision. They're looking to cash flow over a 10 or 15 year period where they, they may not need the, you know, the big juicy IRR over a, over a three year hold. And so um, these bigger groups, yeah, I, I still think cautiously optimistic. We have seen some pullback. We have seen developers say, we're going to, we're going to sit on this land for a little bit and see what happens. But um, groups, and this goes back to your your other question, how are we getting? How are we moving forward with our deal that we have here in Salt Lake? Um, I think if you have a good land basis, 
Um, you have been able to de-risk the site from an entitlement standpoint and lock in construction pricing, which we, we effectively have. Um, then it, you know, the demand story is still there on the leasing side, the growth is still there. We still feel good about proceeding. Um, especially given we're going to be building for about a year, we're going to be done with this project in 2024. Um, hopefully the markets have stabilized a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, again, it's just, you got to be selective. You've got to make sure your debt's lined up, um, your equity's lined up and, and that you've got a good basis and feel good about the rent and demand story. And if those things check the box and your location's there and you feel, you feel like you can make it work, um, you're building to above a 6% yield on cost right now, then, then I, you know, we still feel, feel pretty good about these types of deals. Makes sense. Just like you said, it's just math, X, Y, and Z and solving yep. for rent. So with the development side, you, you that has definitely been a, a real sore point uh, with the construction cost over the last really two years. Uh, just this inflation just kind of swept in. And I know that, you know, we we talk about eight, nine, 10% inflation in the market, but I really think in the construction space, it was more in the 20, 30%, depending on, you know, what it, what particular material you're talking about. Yeah. So how do you manage your risk with locking in construction prices? I, we all know that there's a guaranteed maximum price that you can sign with your general contractor who's supposed to have you know, certain uh, escalation clauses or maybe the escalation clause is something that's really being visited for the first time uh, you know, for a lot of these GCs. Uh, but what, what mechanism are you putting in your deal or what agreement have you made with your contractor to ensure that all of a sudden you're not looking at a $25 million deal becoming a $30 million deal, which so many did over the last two years. Yeah, they, they definitely did. Um, prior to, to starting Park West, I was working at another firm and, and um, we, we saw that same thing where construction went from where we, we thought we had a number and it you know, went up 20 bucks a foot because of you know, 25, 30% increases in concrete and steel and, and all of that. And, and you just um, didn't have a choice. I mean, it was, you either pay it or you're just not getting the building. It wasn't like a lack of shopping. There was just no. simply an increase in cost across the industry. It unfortunately uh, definitely caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. We, we, we know all too well just how, how sure. important it is to manage those costs. Um, but I guess yeah. what, what did you learn from that and what are you doing going forward? Yeah. So that, what we learned from that is within, if you're, if you're modeling a, a development deal pro forma, you should always carry some form of cost escalation because separate from contingency that separate from contingency is what, what we've done. So typically what we'll have is a, a owner will have, there's a general contractor contingency that's typically baked in somewhere or another to their, their bid. Okay. So and what, then, what percentage are you giving that like a three, 5%? Yeah. Usually a contractor will have a 3% GC contingency within okay. their, within their budget. GC contingency, that's one bucket. Do you have an yep. owner contingency? And then well? an owner contingency is another bucket. And that that's will- the, the full deal? How are you calculating that full deal or just on the G, like the actual hard cost? Yeah, hard costs and soft costs. Okay, yep. Two, two different buckets. Two different and then owner you're, contingencies. You're adding a third layer here. And, and we're adding a third layer. Yeah, what's that percentage of owner contingency? So if we're just doing a- if this is a first pass on a deal and we we've gotten a, like a, a ROM budget or rough order of magnitude budget from a contractor, we'll typically throw seven to 10% on top of that mm -hmm. um, as an owner contingency, just because we're, you know, they, they, at that point, they haven't really 
dug into the site. They, they may not have, we don't have a survey yet. We haven't had a geotechnical. We don't know the, you know, the, the soils. And so usually we'll just, if we're going to throw an offer in on a piece of land, it's seven to 10% owner just on top of that, um, off of their, their initial bid. And then the third layer, and this is, this is kind of from the scars that we had from that one or two projects where it was like, we literally were getting 25, 30% increases on stuff. So we've, we have, we've toned it down a little bit, but it was, yeah, 5% or 10% annual uh, cost escalations. And so what we do, it's a little technical, but we would say, if we're going to put this deal under, con or if, if today's the day, so let's say it's January 12th, that would, we plug that date in our model. And then we'd say, what's the estimated construction start date? And let's say it's nine months from now. So we'd say from January to September, that's three fourths of a year. We take that and we kind of annualize that uh, construction inflation number at five, you know, five or 10%. And then we'd add that on top. So it would end up being, you know, if it's 5%, probably around three, three and a half percent additional on top of your owner. And then if it's a 10%, it would be seven, you know, 7.5%. So it's, it ends up being like a lot of, a lot of contingency, which yeah, you I mean, have to you, be careful because it could kill a deal. You outlined fifteen percent. Yeah, like, pretty much. Yeah, now, you just you do, you you're leading me right to where I was right where I was thinking as well. It, it can kill a deal, and you're at fifteen percent. You're looking at it, and you go, "Hmm, maybe we'll get away with thirteen percent." What does that look? Like? Yeah. Oh, maybe we'll get down to twelve. And I, a lot of people before we had any of these crazy inflation, because I don't think a lot of people have experienced this. I think a lot of people got quite bullish. I mean, I I was hearing about deals where you know, total contingency on the whole thing, you know, maybe, maybe a couple percent, I mean, yeah. total, and they really not in, you know, not really giving any type of room for any type of situation like this. And then you're just doing cash calls. So what are you guys doing to make sure it's not killing deal? Or are you just simply saying that's our criteria, period? Yeah, it's such a, it's such a good question because it, you don't want to kill a deal. You want to get deals done. And as a newer group, right, we're like, we, we want to tie stuff up and we want to execute. Um, but at the same time, you know, your first, second, third deal, if they don't go well, they could be some of your last, right? And so you, you, ha you have to understand at some point you're going to get in front of equity. You're going to have to convince them that your assumptions are sound. And the, one of the hardest things is you're going to have to get in front of debt and, and a, a lender, and we're working through that process right now. And their, their baseline is a 7% contingency on top of the hard cost construction. Yeah, I've talked to some who want 10%. And yeah. they want like a two year of escrow on interest at like, you know, what they'll trend is maybe like a 9% or 10% right now. So they now don't just want, a, you know, a, a very somewhat aggressive, you know, maybe like, uh, maybe you're, you're looking at it and you're like saying, I'm going to draw X percent per month. And that's the amount of interest I'll pay on those fewer dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the banks are saying you're fully, like we're going to model it as if you're fully drawn day one for the first two years at like eight or 9%, they add that on top of 15% contingency. All of a sudden you're looking at these things going, this doesn't make any sense. And I think that's exactly where a lot of, you know, deals are going to sit for a while right now. I don't think they're going to die off permanently, but I think there's going to be this back and forth with the lenders or the contractors. And it's going to be this continual like circle of, well, can you guarantee, can we fix this? Can we, you know, and go back to the banks? Okay. They're going to get, you know, guarantee that, you know, 80% of the project costs are hundred percent fixed, or they have to put the money in. And then the lender is going to maybe come down to six or, you know, I think that's going to be this, mm -hmm. 
dance that we're all going to have to play to see how deals are going to shake out. Uh, but certainly interesting to hear that you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of coming to the same conclusion on you got to underwrite more conservatively right now. And if you don't, you're, you're going to be up, uh, up a Creek that you, you probably don't. Yeah. Want yep, exactly. And we, I, I will say in the last, last couple months. So we, the feedback we've received from our contractor and other groups is that, you know, so there was just a big increase in concrete in January and this month, but other, other subs and other, uh, line items are actually showing a little bit of softening, uh, in pricing. Um, and so, as well as lead times, steel joists and deck things for the roof structure for an industrial building were historic. I mean, a couple, about six months ago, peak, you know, inflation peak supply chain crisis was taking a year, 14 months to get delivered. And so that's come down a little bit, which is, which is positive. And it's all just a result of, you know, the fed, the inflation, people hitting pause on deals pipeline, you know, slowing a little bit. Um, and subs are going to have to be more and more honest, right? It's like, you know, the, the, the true markup is a, a lot of times in the margins and just where subs are saying, we're so busy that we're just going to throw a, a price out there and see if they take it. And that's what had happened over the last, you know, two years is everyone was just slammed. It was like, okay, if you want to, uh, to use this for your concrete, here's a number, we've got 30 other jobs and people were taking it. So it just added to the problem. Right. And so now we're seeing some of that softening a little bit. And, and so we've shifted where, maybe instead of a, you know, a 15 or 20% contingency on a deal, maybe we will just take our hard and soft slap a 10% on hard and 10% on soft as an owner. And just, we'll use that kind of as the initial, you know, gut check. Um, because it, yeah, we, we don't want to kill a deal. It's still a very competitive market. And, uh, and so it's a balance. Yeah, the, 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 the sub aspect of this is certainly something that's not really talked about as much. Uh, you know, they they were getting larger margins, but at the same time, they also were having the same difficulties with employment that everybody else was having. So they're now having guys come to them saying, you know, you used to pay me $18 an hour, but I can go literally down the street and make $22.50. And then they would do it. They'd go make $22.50 and then they'd go right down the street and make $25. And it, you can't really hire a big workforce and then go back to them with inflation happening globally. They're trying to feed their family and say, hey, you need to take take a pay cut. So in a lot of ways, with this labor is going to kind of, I think, kind of hold construction prices up. Like maybe we're going to see some, you know, uh, relief, but I'm not sure that the relief is going to be this massive reduction in cost that I think people are expecting as much as just holding steady, which is what we've been able to do for so long, where you get a number and six months later, it was still a good number to use, uh, you know, for your project. I hope that it does come down a little bit, but I, I, I remain uh, a, a little leery of, of, you know, people who are, who are projecting that the costs are just going to uh, kind of go back to where they were. I, I think the cat's out of the bag on that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Nick. I, I, yeah. And I agree with that, with that sentiment, but at the same time, go to the rent side of the equation, it's higher, you know? So I think yeah. right now, if we could all see a little bit of relief on the interest rate side, I think that'd be a big, big help on everything. I know that we kind of need to get inflation down, but it, it's hard to say that this wasn't a self-inflicted problem, but yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, so tell me about, you know, 
what does the next year look like for you? I, you, you mentioned your industrial project. I, you're obviously a multifamily investor. We really haven't gotten much into that as well. You know, where are you spending your time right now? Are you looking at, uh, you know, kind of value add multifamily? Are you looking at industrial? Is it just new construction? I know that you, you want to be a developer, but uh, you know, what's making sense right now and uh, you know, which, in which markets. Yeah. Good, good question. So we are focused on, on multifamily and industrial um, the other half, uh, half of our business is my business partner named Justin Hafen. Um, his background is, is very focused on the multifamily side, spent several years with Bridge Investment Group and, um, and another smaller private equity firm. So we are, are right now, we, we had a, a meeting in December, kind of annual planning, talking through this. Um, we've underwritten a lot of deals over the last six months and it, it, it's been hard to find something that, that pencils. And again, the bid ask spread, spread between sellers expectations and buyers where buyers need to be, where debt is when you, you know, you're putting together a, a five-year fixed rate loan for an, an apartment building at, you know, I mean, it changes every day. It seems like, but five, 5.75 or almost 6% and sellers still want to sell you a deal at a four cap. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So we're getting, we're getting, uh, you know, we're getting frustrated with like, man, we think this is a great deal, great market. We love the the, the business plan, but there's just so um, what we're what we're thinking. So we've got this industrial project that's um, hopefully kicking off in the spring. That'll be a 230,000 square foot warehouse, uh, single building, kind of class A, 36 foot clear. Um, so that's that's our our next big one. And then we do own uh, part part owners. We're co GPs in a deal in San Antonio. Uh, 636 unit value add profile uh, to property portfolio that, that we close on in July. And so we've got the value add, we've got industrial development deal moving into 2023. For us right now, I think we're going to be focusing a bit more on acquisitions and a bit more on the multifamily side. Um, one, because you know, right now lead times for development are still really, really long. We need, we needed some fees as a newer company, right? Got to keep the lights on. That's really important to us. And so for example, this imagine. deal, yeah, yeah. This deal we've been working on in Salt Lake, we got it under contract in uh, March of, of 2022. And so it'll be almost 18 months of entitlement. We had to get it rezoned. We had to get a site plan approved. We had a plat. There's a floodplain we're removing. So there's a- that seems like a long time, but really in the development world, it, it's, it's it's par for the course or longer. I mean, you could be yeah. three, four, five, you know, depending on the size of the, the project, you'd be talking, you know, 10 years to, to yep. get something done. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And combine the entitlement risk with the uncertainty around construction costs and interest rates. We just are thinking best path to ac- execution right now. Let's go find some really great off-market multi-deals. Um, we're focused in Texas heavily and then Utah, really it's Sunbelt and Intermountain West, but because it's just two, you know, two man shop right now, we're really focused on Utah, Idaho, um, Texas, and, you know, s- some of the surrounding States there, but, um, really okay, heavily so you, focused on in those oh, States. You're looking for like, um, you know, a multifamily investment. Are you looking for uh, debt assumptions? Are you looking for a value add play? Just looking for mismanagement. You're just looking for uh, debt that's maturing. Where are you at on your kind of criteria for, for picking a multifamily asset right now? Yep. Great, great question. Debt assumptions are awesome. We love debt assumptions. If we can get a deal that, you know, has, has a, a 
five years of term, maybe a year or two of IO left on it, where we're sub 4% or even around, you know, 4% on, on the, on the fixed rate. We'd love that all day. Um, so that's a big focus criteria. We are, you, so we have CoStar, we have a couple other tools where we are focusing on some of the, the loans that are maturing where, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you're, you're very familiar with this concept, right? But a lot of deals got done in 2021 and 2022 with floating rate bridge debt. And as those two-year or three-year terms come come due, and you know, a lot of them probably didn't have rate caps before rate caps were a big, a big component. Well, a lot uh, of people got prices for rate caps in, you know, I don't know, five, 10 years ago or you know, over the over the past decade. I mean, it's not like a new concept, but like a lot of people would just price them out of the deal. They're like, yeah, we can get, you know, it's not going up. It's, it's right. no chance the interest rates are going to double. No, we don't yeah. need that extra couple hundred grand in the deal. Just and it's, it, I'm sure history will repeat itself, but it, it is interesting to see how people are, uh, you know, at the end of cycles are much more bullish on things. But, uh, you know, I think rate caps are, are structuring it in a way that you, uh, you know, you have a fixed rate debt or you have swap, a swap loan that puts you in a position to be uh, kind of reaping the ward of, of interest rates going up. Something like that needs to be you know, kind of in the underwriting process, just mm -hmm. to make sure that you're really, you're really not, uh, again, going up a creek that you don't want to. Yeah, super important. So we're looking, you know, I don't think we've seen it, it, the, the blood in the water as much as, as um, we will probably see over the next 12 or 18 months is assuming rates continue to trend up and stay kind of where they are. Yep. You know, where, where groups did a bridge loan at 85% loan to cost at a you know, their starting rate was a three, three and a half percent, but it was floating. And now it's, you know, seven, eight, and they, they can't refinance. I mean, they're not uh, you know, making debt service right now, in most cases, especially right. if they have high eviction, uh, you know, backlog from COVID or something like that. You know, yeah. there, there's, there's definitely deals that are distressed, but I, I, I don't know how to like, my, my feel on the market is that they, like, they just are still hiding it from, from yeah. plain view, you know, I, as they just start losing more and more, I think it's going to be quite apparent who's actually got you know who's in trouble and who's got the cash to to kind of come in and save the day but there's definitely going to be some losses coming i i just don't see how you you avoid it agreed so we're looking at deals like that um to potentially come up and and then just general criteria so we're we're 80s and newer vintage um you know ideally 100 plus units we can kind of be a little flexible there um, good sub markets of, of Dallas, of, you know, Georgia, um, Utah, Idaho, and, um, and, and, and really off market is our focus. So because we're a newer group, um, trying to find good deals I and mean, we have great broker relationships and we, we talk with them on a weekly basis, but, um, if it's not, if it's a fully marketed deal, um, that's gone out to the masses, there's going to be a best and final it's, it's just tough one from kind of the returns we're trying to hit. And then two, just from a competitive environment getting those across the finish line. So we actually are heavily focused on a, we have a, so we have an assistant, her full-time gig is just purely outreach to owners. So we send her, we'll do a, a co-star export based on our criteria, the vintage, the unit sizes, where we like pockets. And, and then we'll just send her over 500 properties and be like, go to town. You know, we need to, we need to get in front of all these owners and it's, it's tough, you know, owners either, Hey, we're not selling. Hey, we don't do off market. You know, who are you guys? Right there. It's, but 
we're just trying to be at the right place at the right time and uh, cast a wide net and uh, eventually something will stick. So that's our focus right now. Um, you know, getting this deal across the finish line in Salt Lake and then finding the next opportunity. Makes sense. It sounds like you guys are up to uh, a lot of hard work and I'm sure 2023 will be, uh, you know, quite, quite a good growth year for you, regardless of what's happening in the economy. And, and I think a lot of, a lot of folks who get started in, in uh, adverse situations, like what we're kind of facing right now, just makes you better. I mean, if you, if you guys can figure it out right now, it seems like uh, you'll be able to kind of have some, some easy, easy tides here in the future. Hopefully, at least that's, that's, that's what we're hoping. This is probably the um, hardest time to, you know, I mean, probably second hardest time in the last 20 years to start a, a real estate investment company outside of 2008 or 2009. Right. So um, we're, we're optimistic. We think that it's we're we're grateful to be starting now as opposed to in 2021 or 2022 and bought, uh, you know, a few deals and now them all be underwater. Right. Like, so I think our timing is, is, is good. All things considered it's tough, but it's, it's better than, than, uh, than most. So we're excited. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot to be, a lot of, a lot to be grateful for, a lot to look forward to. And, you know, I really appreciate you kind of giving us your, your insights, you know, definitely with your experience, getting to work with such large companies, getting to bring that down to a smaller group is, uh, you know, I really think a really smart way for, for real estate professionals to get started. And, uh, you know, really appreciate you coming on and giving us all of that, uh, you know, insight today. If people want to reach out and, and get in contact with you to learn some more, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, you can go to our website. So it's parkwestre.com. Okay. Or you can uh, you can follow me or send me a DM on Instagram. It's uh, official Chase Hudson. Perfect. Well, hope you have a good rest of your day and best of luck on the new investments. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. This has been great. A lot of fun. Appreciate the time. Likewise. Bye. Alrighty, bye.